You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Myrna Bennett. Myrna and her husband Jim, Zichon Olibracha, grew up in San Francisco. And when they decided to make a stop in Israel on their way to spending some time in Europe back in the 60s, the land had a greater impact on them than they had expected. Fast forward some 55 years later, and Myrna Bennett finds herself part of a wonderful Haifa community with three sons, 11 grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren, all of whom live in Israel. Oh, and also, one of those three sons is Israel's Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett. My wife and I visited Myrna at her home, which she was gracious enough to open up to us to talk about her story, and we even received a surprise phone call from Naftali during the conversation. Well, it was a surprise to us. Myrna wasn't surprised at all. Turns out he calls her every day. Anyway, with no further ado, here's Myrna Bennett returning again. And I have to say that this is a dream interview for me. Um, and, and not for the obvious reasons, given what one of your sons uh, does for a living. But um, uh, if there's anyone who has uh, a child in the public eye in Israel who I wanted for this podcast to really understand that person's perspective on moving here and living here, it would be you. So thank, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, I appreciate spending time. So let's start where we should always start with this kind of conversation. When was the first time you even heard about Aliyah or living in Israel? Uh, first of all, it's important to know that my husband, Jim Zal, and I grew up in, he grew up in a San Francisco Reformed Jewish home, which is it's like oh, as liberal I, as it gets, right? It's just, it's nothing. He, he, and he went 16 years because of social reasons. You know, they had something called after bar mitzvah just to keep the kids together. And all he got out of it is that Judaism is eth ethical monetism. That's what he got out of it. And I have his uh, bar mitzvah book that people signed which was probably 10 years after the Holocaust, and no one mentioned anything about it. You know, no one said, oh, how amazing that, you know, this is happening today. Wow. And, and his family had come to San Francisco, ger the half of the family, German Jews in the 1850s. So he... Wow, real American. Real Amer They were Americans. Yeah. My parents were born in Europe, but came in, they left Europe in the 20s separately. They didn't know each other and were fine and went to Cuba because Jewish people weren't really allowed into the United States, except for exceptions from about 1924 on. And they came to America in the 30s. And my father was a communist. Hmm. So right. there was no religion there, but they, they had family that were killed in the Holocaust and they spoke Yiddish. So, 
but neither of us grew up in Zionist families. Right. We just didn't. We came from that background, but I graduated university in 1964, and there was a, in those days, a cheap flight to Europe. Wait, time out, time out, time uh, out. You can't leap all the way ahead to uh, university. Okay, so That's not ask fair. Ask me, ask me, anything. I want to know, in your childhood, was Israel, like, had you yes. heard of Israel? Like, yes, my, now, I always thought of my father because he was a, commu a, a poor communist. Most of the communists we knew were rich communists in San Francisco. But I always thought of him as maybe anti-Zionist. Right. But it's not true. My father upstairs, I have, he wrote a diary every day of his life from the day I was born. Oh my gosh. So I look into things like 48, and it turns out, like most normal Jews used to be, not today in America, everybody had some kind of feeling about Israel, you know, whether they're gonna move there or not. So in 1964, I wanted to go to Europe on this cheap flight, and my father said, only if I come for two weeks to meet the only people in his family who survived, two girl cousins who were living in Tel Aviv. Right. So I in other words, you, you could take the trip if part of the trip, trip was visiting was, right, these relatives. Right, right. The, the trip was just a cheap flight to London and back to San Francisco. Yeah. So, but I, he, and I went with a friend and I could, he would only help pay for it if I would visit his two girl cousins in girl women, <laughs> women cousins in Tel Aviv. Did you at that point know they existed? Hardly because most of our family was my mother's family okay. and he only had these cousins in Tel Aviv. I knew they existed but the other thing is I remember um, as a child I was taken to a film I think it was Hill 101 you know one of these Israeli films made in the 50s. Right. I, I, I did, I went to one or two of those films with my parents, that I remember. And, well, but 1964 was really something, because I really didn't have much idea of Israel. Right. And I got here, and I, it was really, anyone who came, any American who came in the 40s, 50s, or early 60s, kolakavod to them, because it, especially if you were from San Francisco, which was really aesthetic and pretty and gorgeous. And it, Israel at that time was dusty and not beautiful, but the people, I see these young soldiers who were handsome and in my head, I think they're soldiers and they're philosophers and they're poets. I don't know what they were, but, <laughs> And that summer I saw Salah Shabbati at some movie theater in Tel Aviv. I don't know if you know the film. Classic. Okay. Classic. But I was really impressed by Israel and, and took, you know, ISTA. In those days, ISTA was really only for students. ISTA, Tiulim around the country and thought, it's just amazing, but I could never live here. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. Uh, ideologic enough, uh, philosophical enough. I'm not, I, I never thought, you know, well, I would live here. You had like great respect for the people I here. Truly great respect. And, and one of my father's cousins 
wasn't wealthy and the other one was wealthy. So I could see, you know, that you could, some people could live here in, in certain ways, but um, never thought I'd live here. What, what else, other than visiting your, your father's cousins, what else do you remember about that trip? Oh, um, what sights, what uh, smells, what, what do you remember? Well, not that trip, but after when my husband and I came, which I'll get to later, but I remember we came as volunteers. I'll get to that later. But, and we had planned to take a year off in, he, he was in, he had worked for the Anti-Defamation League after college and started, he graduated a half a year before me. So from say 1964 till 1966 and by working for the Anti-Defamation League, he could stay out of the Vietnamese War, oh, okay. Okay? okay? And then suddenly they decided that doesn't count. So not good he, enough, right. It's not good enough, so he joined VISTA, which was like the Peace Corps for Inside America for one year. Hmm. So it would have been June 60, 1966 to June 1967. Interesting so, date. Yes, yes. So we had, we got married in November 1966, and we decided after he finishes that year and he's safe from Vietnam because he'd also become 26 years old in September 67. So we decided we'll go to Europe for a year. In those days, that's where people went. They didn't go to India. I mean, not people I knew. <laughs> and uh, so we were gonna take a year off, and then we found starting, I think, April, whenever it was that Nasser closed the Straits of Tehran, right. we became so obsessed that we couldn't do anything but listen. My husband recorded, and I don't know where they are, on these big uh, re recordings, Abba Evans speaking in the um about it. Right. And I the remember um. I was invited to some girl's shower, and I thought, how can these Jewish girls sit here like this when it was going to be the end of our, our people after the Shoah. And today when I see how these poor kids who are not brought up with anything, see I was brought up with nothing, but I, my historical timing was post-Shoah and, and European parents. So today these American kids in universities they, who grew up like me, not Datim, but uh, I don't know how, you know, I don't know what's going to be with them. Either they're going to become, they're going to try to become part of the other people, or they're going to decide maybe it's worthwhile finding out what it is to be Jewish. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. So, now, now, 1964, when, when, you, when you took that trip, right. and you, uh, let's say, you, you, to a degree, if, if I'm putting words in your mouth, correct me, but you, to a degree you sort of fell in love with, I, with what Israel With the idea of Israel. Yeah. Not, um, it wasn't going to be my no, idea. I, I but, got it. Okay. So, but, so you, you go home from that trip. Right, and I went back life... to my life. Then I went to get a teacher's credential, and then I re-met Jim, who became my husband. How did you guys meet the first time? First of all, we went to the same high school, but he was... Uh, a half a year or a year ahead of me. And he was, we went to the 
a school called Lowell High School. It was the academic school, so kids from all over the city went there. It wasn't a neighborhood school. And I always thought it's an all-Jewish school, but it turns out it wasn't. It, but it was a lot the, of Jews, though. Yeah, and I knew him. He was, you know, cute, but I didn't know him well. And then my first, um, I, then I went to Berkeley, and he was at Berkeley. He was in a fraternity, and I was in a dorm. And the first Friday night in Berkeley some girl comes into my room. I didn't know anyone. We just moved to the dorms and said, there's a party, you have to go. So I went to this party and it was in the annex of the Pi Lambda Phi Jewish fraternity building. And we walk in and- That, that was his fraternity? His fraternity. Okay. And it was just full of Goy football players because that's who they rented it to. And you know, I was, dancing with one of them. He became sort of famous Joe Calf. And suddenly in walked um, Jim and some of his fraternity brothers who were all from San Francisco. And they said, my name was Myrna Lefko then. Lefko or Myrna, you can't be here. So he asked me out for the next Friday night. You can, and we went out and we saw a play and we had pizza and we didn't talk to each other. And I saw him around Berkeley for the next four years, but I, you know, he was, I thought of myself as hippie. I didn't, I, 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 that was my, not fraternity sorority, and he was, I thought of him as, he's so neat and clean. Right, Pre sort of preppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyhow, um, then I got a teacher's credential, and I then signed up to be in the Peace Corps. And on the Ista Tiul, when I was in Israel in 64, it was full of Brazilian kids. And I loved them. So I thought, I'll ask to go to Brazil. I didn't tell them that. I gave them. And I'll meet one of these nice Jewish boys from Brazil. So I was taking, in those days, the, the um, what's the name of the main bus company in America? The Greyhound Bus oh, Company sure. had a thing, $99, you can go everywhere for three months. So I was taking a trip around America to say goodbye to my friends because I was going to go into Peace Corps training then in Vermont. And I came to Manhattan and I was staying with a friend and she said, oh, her cousin Jimmy, who was now in Vista to stay out of the army, is going to come up for the weekend. And I won't tell you exactly what I said because someone will use it against me sometime. But I said, oh, it wasn't exactly exciting. Right. I said, oh, he's so neat and clean. <laughs> Anyhow, it was, I think, August 7th, and we just, time, whatever, hit it off, and the next day was a march on Fifth Avenue against um, bombing of Hiroshima. Hmm. And we went and walked, and then that was it. I started Peace Corps training, but I come into Manhattan and meet him, and after about two months, I just said, we just said we're going to get married, and we got married in November. So we met, re-met in August and got married in November, and uh, his father phoned him, and he was telling him about some stocks they had, and Jim said, 
I've met the girl I'm going to marry, and he kept on telling him about some stocks, and then hung up, and then five minutes later he said, what? And <laughs> so that was it. That was, uh, that was it, and we were going to take, so he had to finish Vista, which was a year. Right. And we were going to then go to Europe, not Israel, just Europe. But I have to say, Jim had brought a lot of his boxes of his things to my parents' house. And we found in his basement, in the seventh and eighth grade, he went down to the, the ferry building was sort of a, it had some international things. And he interviewed in a critical way the head of some, Arab, someone who represented the Arab states. That was before Palestine. They took over the name. Yeah, I know. And that yeah. that was a, a, a that Palestine. It's that fantastic. Pal- it's it's fantastic. Let and me it's just sh- quickly describe. We're looking at a, We're looking at a photo that uh, that Myrna has, Myrna has in her house. It says come to Palestine, but it's it's clearly about the Jewish it, it, it state. It was from a <laughs> Israel Museum. Nineteen twenty nine. Right, it was ours. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. anyway. So he did that, and then my mother found he wrote. I mean, we found in these boxes he had written lots of papers about Israel. Wow! And he had less of a reason than I would have. You it, know, it came from a less affiliated background. Than completely. You. Yeah. Anyhow, so then again, I was starting to say Nasser right. closed the states of Tehran, and. You younger people just don't know how it felt. It was the whole Arab world against this little country, and that was going to be the end of us. It was just horrible. So he was finishing in June, and he was in Springfield, Massachusetts. So that's where we were. And we called the consulate or the embassy in Washington and said, we want to come. So we were going to spend a year traveling. Right. So then we said we're going to spend a half a year in Israel, and then we'll travel the other half year. That was the plan. So we. What, what was the reason? Uh, it's kind of obvious, but I want to hear it they, from you. Uh, they What's needed the volunteers. Ah, okay. If you came to Israel in July '67, the almost all men, Israeli men, were in the army still, and the country was full of thousands, tens of thousands of volunteers, most of them Jewish, but a lot not Jewish, people like we were who just didn't want the Jewish people to end. Wow. And, and so, so we, I, I can't remember if it was from the San Francisco consulate or Washington, D.C., but we got the right to come on the first plane that they allowed normal people to come on after the Six-Day War, meaning non-soldiers or non, non-Israelis. Sure. So I think it was July 15th or something. So we, we in our generation, we, we're, we're sort of educated to think that after the Six-Day War ended, life was, life was perfect. Like uh, everything was settled and everything was clear that everything's fine. You're saying no, there was still a no, lot of work to be done. No, they still needed um, volunteers because soldiers stayed in the army and then there, right. there were a lot of problems, but it was. it was. It was this amazing feeling, we won. <laughs> but, but winning also, they didn't send every man home in, in after the six days. They, a lot of people, 
And they also, the Israeli government or whoever, decided to take advantage of all these volunteers who are here. We could choose to be, or we were told, a kibbutz archaeology, and I can't remember what something else was. We, took, we chose a kibbutz and we were sent to kibbutz Dafna in the north, and we learned that we would never want to live on a kibbutz, but to be in the Hula Valley is gorgeous. Well, what was it like that, that, you, uh, oh, that you were sure that you didn't want uh, to live on a well, kibbutz? Well, I, I worked uh, sometimes in the kitchen. Well, I saw that women should own their own kitchen because these women were sharing the kitchen. So one would say to one of the girl volunteers, you do this, and the other one would say no. Right. And then we were picking a pre-Hadar, and we'd get up at four in the morning, and then work, have breakfast out in the fields, and then work till 12 and come back and have breakfast and then have the whole afternoon off. What happened, starting October, just like now, it got really cold. Right. And the volunteers, and there were maybe, I don't know how many, I don't wanna, but it, like, we could have been 100 volunteers. And we were given the old kibbutz, the original kibbutz housing, which had no heat and the bathroom was far away. It got so cold, people couldn't sleep. So Jim, and we had a, a madrich who was in charge of volunteers, and I could get, get the names mixed up, but I think he was <laughs> Moshe. And Jim was the spokesperson, and he said to him, we can't sleep, you have to get us heaters. So he said, well, I'm not in charge of heaters, someone, name Musha, it was a name that was Similar. like Moshe, yeah. is in charge of them. We go there and Jim tried to explain to him, not in Hebrew, but you know, that we need heaters. And he said, no, Moshe Ephes, that because he didn't like Moshe, therefore we couldn't get wow. the, and you know, <laughs> all the kibbutz people loved us. We were a couple, you know, nice, it looked okay. There were a few girls, and no family wanted to adopt them because you got adopted wow. by a family. It was really, it was really a horrible way of life. But afterwards, I've heard from someone who used to work at the Tzfat Hospital that in the psychiatry ward that Kibbutz Dafna in those days had the highest rate of people coming. Interesting. And I guess it was you know when they came to Israel and whatever, but. But it made us just love the land, of, the beauty of the land. What was and, Jim's job on the kibbutz? Well, he got great jobs. He had one job that was amazing. It wasn't long, but when they picked the cotton, and it was you know a few miles out, he got to lay on the cotton truck and squeeze it down, and he could bring books and read. He, not uh, a bad job. Not a bad job. <laughs> and. Uh, the thing about Jim, I, I'll see if I can find a picture. I always looked, I'm, I always looked Jewish in America. To me, he looked, you know, light-colored hair, blue eyes. He got off the plane here, and he just, in July, before the kibbutz, he just got onto this land and felt completely at home. Wow. And everybody would say to him, are you Israeli? Because he sort of looked like kibbutz men with long curly hair and stuff. Uh, it was, uh, 
interesting. Anyhow, what was I saying, though? <laughs> um, you were just saying that you learned from that experience that ah, living on a kibbutz okay. was good for you. And we used to hitchhike on Shabbatot. And, uh, we, so, and they didn't have an ulpan. So we did, in December, leave to go to Europe. And we went skiing in Europe for three months. And in Switzerland, we were supposed to get some money. In those days, if you bought a simple stock, it just developed. So we needed, we wanted money for the trip. We bought our car. We got off the plane in Amsterdam. The Amsterdam airport, we bought a Volvo car <laughs> and uh, uh, some kind of radio that Jim wanted, a shortwave radio and cameras and all kinds of right. things, and drove around and uh, went skiing. We First, we drove around England because I had some cousin in England on my father's side, who I'd never met, and then through Europe. And we were in Switzerland. It was time to get money in American Express, and it didn't come. So we had to call, try to get a hold of the stock guy, who turned out he was skiing somewhere in Switzerland. And I, I had to give them my wedding ring for them to allow us to make a call, because wow. there was no proof that... The collateral, so yeah. to speak. Anyhow, so in Switzerland, it just felt so orderly and clean. It didn't feel wonderful. It felt uncomfortable. So we decided we have to go back at least to do an ulpan and let's see what happens. So we came back. We left in December. We came back in March. We took a LL boat with our car. An LL boat? An LL, LL boat. Not an LL boat, a Tsim. Oh, okay. A Tsim yeah, yeah. ship. Oh, really? Yeah, Danny works for Tsim. Uh, <laughs> a Tsim ship. And we picked it up in Geneva. And our car was full of all these expensive things, but they were in like green knapsacks. And we bought for my cousins in Tel Aviv, who we were going to come and stay there. Swiss chocolate that was wrapped beautifully. Anyhow, we went in to eat somewhere. We came out, it had been burgled. The only mm. thing they took were the beautifully wrapped candies and not our shortwave radio stuff, or, right? or anything. But so we came back on the boat, and this is when uh, we got off the boat and we were sent to an Opan. No, no, first we were just sent to a Merkaz Klita in Jerusalem in the Katamonim, the red brick buildings sure. at the end, for six weeks till our Ulpan in Arad would start its second session. It was for college graduates. We had, you, you hadn't made Aliyah at this point? No, we hadn't made Aliyah. Right. We so still why didn't, are they sending you to a Merkaz Klita? Because there was where else, because it Almost was Almost like a hostel. It was a hostel. Yeah, it was yeah. a hostel. It's, uh, um, so we were there for six weeks and then went to Arad and Six, not long in, in Arad, someone who, uh, the head of the Anti-Defamation League at that time, whose name I'm not going to remember, I will, but tonight, um, <laughs> Jim said he wants to talk to him because we want to try working here. And so he found Jim a job at, in public relations at the Technion. And that's why we came to Haifa. And I was already pregnant with my first son, Ashi. So uh, we came and uh, we lived in an apartment that faced north. In one of the buildings in Haifa, 
in those days, you weren't allowed to build a building more than four stories without an elevator, and nobody was going to put an elevator. So in Haifa, because of the hills, they're four stories down and four up. And we were in the lowest one facing north in a new place. I'm pregnant, and Jim went to work, didn't know anyone. Those, those were really hard times for me. And then Asher was born, and it was even harder. I, hadn't, I didn't have brothers and sisters. I didn't know what to do. So with, hard just because you were all alone? I was all alone. Pregnant, and then a new mother, Mom, and he's busy all, at work. Right. All the things that they say are um, hard on a human being, all coming to a new place, not knowing the language, not knowing people. But um, we started to make some friends, English-speaking friends, and uh, then we said, and he liked his work, and then we said, we can't really judge what it's like living in a crummy place like that. So we bought a house in, it, just around the corner, a great house really? on the side of Avadi. That's where my kids grew up, running free in Avadi. Um, but at a certain point, about 10 years ago, we had to sell it because there were too many steps for, not us, for our <laughs> friends. And um, my kids were married then and coming on Shabbatot and we needed more room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim was a real estate agent by then. And he, I used to pass this house by and think, it's true, it's a villa, but why is it so ugly? And then he called me and he said, I'm coming to see this place. And I walked in, it was completely different. And it felt good, and we bought it. And then Danny and his wife lived in it for about six years while he built his house not far from here. And we saw what we could do with it, and then we built it. And Jim only lived two years after it right. was built. But right. um, it, yeah. this is truly his house. I mean. So, so when you were in those early years, yeah. Um, but before you started making friends, did you did you think and talk to each other about like maybe we just need to go back? I th listen. I had three sons in three years and five months. Wow! And I no didn't twins. Know, no twins. I didn't know how to be a mother. I'm true. I'm serious about this. I didn't grow up with babies, um, and I did. I had friends, but I say to myself, these are friends because they speak English, and we weren't religious. That's the main thing. We weren't religious. So for Jim, it didn't matter. He loved his work. He, and I loved Israel, theoretically, ideologically. But my life was really difficult. And every, we made a big mistake. Every summer, because of me, I'd make us go back to San Francisco. So my whole year, when the boys were little, was built around going back to San Francisco, so I never got used to it. Interesting. And then in 1973, we were in San Francisco, and finally I talked Jim into deciding we're going to come back to Israel. Wait. 73 before the war, summer. Summertime. Summertime. Okay. Uh, we're going to come back, and he agreed you know, it was either that or no marriage. I'm serious, I, that's how hard it was for me. And he agreed. And then the 73 war started and he was called up right away because he had already done whatever they did training. And I was 
with my mother, at my mother's house with my three sons, who were really wild and got into trouble. And one day my mother and I were sitting and talking, and I said, so quiet, and I went into, they were in her bedroom. They had opened everything, and there were medicines all around. I had to take them to oh get gosh. their stomachs pumped. And oh my, my mother, gosh. at night, when I'd sit, you know, and I'd want to go out with my friends and cousins, my mother at night would sit there and go, oh, these little orphans. It was really hard. It showed me the negative side. So in end of October, again, this kind of weather, Jim phoned me saying, you know, he comes home. Uh, he stayed in until April in the Army. He says, you got to come. you got to come. I come home. There's no hot water because nobody turned it on. And so I wanted to come back anyhow, but I still thought, you know, after this war is over, we'll uh, come back, we'll sell and come back to, to either States. San Francisco or Manhattan, one right. of the two. So uh, uh, I came back. And because he was in the army, a whole bunch of things. First of all, I felt truly part of Israel. I felt no different than whoever that lady was that said about my flag. <laughs> you know, her husband was in because 73 war, people stayed in for months and months and months. Right. So there, I shared that. And the house, just around the corner there, didn't have good heaters. We had neft heaters. Right. And on my own, because I found myself the first three years because of the kids or whatever, um, I couldn't do anything. Dependent, I, my Hebrew wasn't good. And I ordered a great heating system for that house. And I started to make more friends. So by the time Jim finally came back from the army, but he'd come back, you know, once every two weeks or once a month, we decided we're staying. Staying? Here in Israel. Okay. So fine. We never left, by the yeah, way. Quick, we only left on Shlichut twice. Okay, so quick timeout here. Yeah. I just want to do a time, a time frame location okay. assessment here. 67, you're here. Right. That was all an adventure. No babies, no right. pregnancies. Okay. Okay. So your first child is born what year? In uh, November 68. Okay, so from 67 to 68, you're here. No, we went to Europe. I got pregnant in Europe because we had no money. On the second half? <laughs> no, we couldn't wow. do anything. Okay. So during, that was during that year. That year. Right? Okay. And then you came back here from there? Then we came. In 68, we first went to Arad. And then Jim got the job at the Technion because of his connections through the Anti-Defamation League. Right. And then and you're in Israel, except for summers, until 73? Even after 73, I'll tell you what happened. We didn't, we, things changed. The Technion sent Jim to Montreal in 1974 to open an Eastern Canada fundraising office. Interesting. That okay. was the huge change. I swear, I really do think Hashem has watched us. I, I'm telling you, I really feel this. By then, I was happy I was in Israel, but again, my closest friends were da two Datiya ladies, and I actually, we had nothing anti, but, I, but there was this knowledge 
that the Datin don't like the non-Datin, but my closest friends were American, two American women, and we'd see them walking around on Shabbat right. when we'd be walking with the kids. And I'd say to Jim, I actually thought this, this was before we went to Montreal, we can't go bother them now, it's Shabbat. Interesting. Stupid. Like, uh, like, like, like they're in a different they're realm. They're in a different, uh, yeah. I really did think that. And we had, and I thought a better realm, I now realize I thought that, but it wasn't my realm. And yeah. it's, uh, I think Ashi would have started Kita Aleph in the non-religious school here in the neighborhood. And we were sent to Montreal. Okay. So in Montreal, we put the kids in Jewish day schools because we didn't speak Hebrew at home. And the first week, the very first week, I was invited to a group that today wouldn't exist, Wives of Professional Jews. At no, some, that would not exist. That would not <laughs> exist. So I sat next to a woman named Nina Glick, who was uh, the wife of a young Israel rabbi, Mordechai Glick, who just died two weeks ago. Wow. And we had great chemistry. I also believe in chemistry with people. I, I like you guys. Well, thank you. Uh, and she decided in her head, she's going to do something about this woman who tells me she has three kids, you know, about religion. But nothing, not in any no way. No coercion. But everything that happened in Montreal was to make us be aware of how much we were missing by not being observant. Interesting. Um, Nina Glick, the kids in Jewish day school, so who became our friends? The other parents of the kids. And, and I had um, uh, carpools, and in Dafka Naftali's carpool was with the rabbi of the biggest shul, his wife. Right. So one day a week, we all would take the five kids in that car, if that, and I'd have my other kids, and they had other kids too, and I'd have to run out and buy kosher yogurt and a chad pami, spoons and forks. And when we were in Iran, one of the things that we decided was, if we go back to America, we're going to keep kosher. That was some decision then. But to Israel, back to Israel. No, back oh, to... Oh, when you were in Iran. In, here in Israel, Sorry, in, in Iran. Right. If we go back to the United States, we're going to keep kosher. That was our big decision. So, and ev everything that happened in Montreal was to make us more observant. And we had lived here already seven years and all my appliances were starting to die. And if one person went to university full time, you could bring back duty-free appliances. And you guys just don't even know what the duty was more than the appliance. Right. So I went to Concordia. I had gone to Berkeley. I went to a school I had never heard of. I went to Berkeley and didn't get much out of it. I mean, I had a great time, sure. but I didn't get any great, I didn't find something I want to learn and do. So in, at Concordia, I took two English seafood courses, which I was afraid to do in Berkeley because only certain kinds of intellectuals sure, sure. did them, and three Jewish study courses. And it was the first time I had ever read the Tanakh, right. ever, ever. But it was in a university class, and I couldn't figure out why this guy with the kippah kept having arguments with the teacher, because I didn't know enough yet. But I remember reading it. See, I'm so a person from Berkeley in the 60s. It blew my mind, okay? And all these other things. Well, what blew your mind? 
the t Torah, this Torah that was given to us. It, it was, how could I have not ha ever read it? How could it not have been part of my life? Plus everything else. So, it, and because of our friends, we started to go to shul, to this big shul. Uh, it was Rabbi Schmidman who was took it over. Like Shara Shemayim or something? No, Shar Shemayim I think was conservative. Oh, okay. It was it was David Hartman's shul, okay. but he had left already, and right. Rabbi Schmidman took it over. It was you know walking distance from our place. We went on Shabbat morning, and everybody, you know, it it wasn't like here. It's not fun. Oh wait, we went to the Glicks for Shabbat. They right. were outside of um, uh, Montreal. It wasn't a place we could walk to. And it was our first time, and Jim was called up to the Torah, and they asked his name, and they said, he said Yaakov, because he had already decided it's Yaakov, he said, and they said Ben, and he said Sloshib. <laughs> but it's His fun. Hebrew was good. Right, his but Hebrew it's was funny, good. but yeah. it's horrible when you're 30 years old, yeah, yeah. and so the, we knew whatever, this was in the beginning, that we want our kids to have the education because it's a sin. In Israel, the fact that in the non-Dati schools, people are so afraid to get anything that's Torah-related that they're going to lose out yeah. also. But you have to go through things yourself, and you have to get rid of you know, these beliefs that Datim and low Datim would still very much exist. Yeah, uh, yeah my, my daughter, um, who's in, uh, who's in Midrashah now, who's Ken, in seminary now, right. she did a year of Sherut Lumi where she was part of this program where they bring girls into the non-Dati schools right. to give them tastes right. of, of what Torah and Judaism right, is all about. Right. And she said the kids were really into they it. Loved they loved it. it. Yeah. Right. You know why? Because it's a great product. Right, right. So that's uh, so everything that happened in those two years. Wait, wait. Well, so, so what else do you remember about that Shabbat with the Glicks? Oh it well, been... I didn't. I remember that. That that's become one of our main stories. <laughs> but no, it was fine because they weren't as truly from truly truly in the best way possible. They were. They were also welcoming, and nobody laughed at us which if it happened here, I know at my little shul that I go to, I don't know if anyone would laugh, but it, 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 it didn't matter because yeah. people were so good. And we started to going to Schmidman's shul, which was near our house, this big fancy shul, every Shabbat morning. And Friday night we started, oh, but before that, because of Nina and Mordechai Glick, and my buying yogurt and my starting to feel I really want to keep kosher and we had decided, I, we decided we're going to keep kosher and I had bought a whole new set of dishes when we got there because things were cheaper. I <laughs> gave them to someone and I told Mordechai that, you know, he told me, I said, what do I have to do? He says, really clean the stove well. So. I put my, I don't think any Pesach I've ever cleaned as well. He said he's never, because it was a rented house. It right. was old stuff. It was shining. And he came, he looked at it, and I said, that's it? You don't do any, you know, there's no uh, ritual? No. And the first thing I remember making for the kids was um, lasagna without meat. Now you think, how could you make lasagna with meat? You know, why would <laughs> right. anyone do it? But 
and, um, and before we left, in my old house, I had a neighbor who's still my friend. Um, she grew up in England, and they kept kosher, but she wasn't dati dati. She, now she is. Um, and I remember once she, we, were, we used to have to go up to the street to get neft from a man who brought it to bring down to our house to pour in these heaters right. and milk. We'd get our milk. And she said to me, no, I said to her, you mean, Brenda, you never had a cheeseburger? And she said, no. And right. uh, we laughed, you know, then yeah. anyway, so. So you're in Montreal. Two life years. Is, and life is great there, it sounds like. Life like, is, really beautiful no. community. See, that's the thing, like, thank God. The community was unbelievable because communities are. People yeah. are friendly. And, you, you know, when Olim come and they are nothing, at least if they're like labor Zionist and go to a kibbutz or something, but if, you're, if you have nothing, you know, why be here? It's, right. wow. uh, so, no, Montreal was amazing, but Baruch Hashem, he made Montreal have the worst weather ever. It's unbelievably cold. The worst weather. Right. I, we used to build a sukkah. We, in October, we built a sukkah in the garden of the um, duplex Par apartment we rented, there was already snow. Right. And afterwards, Shavuot, May, the snow was up to here. And I had never, I either lived in Israel or California. For me, thank goodness, it was horrible. It was horrible. And uh, anyway, it, and then there was the university and, and it just everything combined to, to make us become more and more uh, observant and we used to Friday nights I light candles and we'd have Shabbat dinner and I guess we watched TV and Shabbat morning we went to shul and then we'd get in the car afterwards and do Tiulim around Quebec yeah you know? it's beautiful so well I don't know because I only I used to say to Jim we've got to go back to Montreal I have to see it when I don't have little kids and I'm not living in the snow because <laughs> it was so difficult, even though everything else was amazing. So, uh, so we're packing up to leave and we asked a few of the rabbis, you know, we're returning to Haifa, what school should we put the kids in? Because... How old are they at this point? Uh, Naftali was probably going to keep, no, he was going to Gan. Okay. And Danny probably second grade and Asher third grade, it's, uh, so, and I had this fear. See, we also lived two years in Teaneck, and I saw in the Jewish schools all kinds of kids from all kinds of families and right. could come. Wait, that was Montreal, Teaneck, and then back a, here, Teaneck was much later. Much later, oh, okay, different. Fine. That was who he was a Shaliyah Aliyah. That was right. different. So I was, I thought, we can't put them in a religious school. I mean, we're not... We were still not keeping all Shabbat. Okay. And Jim and I had five, as much, Jim was much stronger on staying in Israel and I was much stronger in becoming completely, and, no, and nobody's completely, That's but right. becoming more observant. So we came, and someone gave us the name, the name of a rabbi here to ask and- About schools. About schools and this rabbi was a young Israel rabbi, and he was starting to do things that weren't really right. So we really didn't have anyone to ask. And we decided 
there's a university school, maybe they teach Tanakh, you know, the university school. So we go up and you have to remember, we had these three wild boys and we <laughs> still looked, we didn't look from at all. I st <laughs> and we go up there and we ask the woman principal, uh, how do you teach Tanakh? And she looks at us and she says, don't worry, we don't. So because like of that, we had to put them in the Dati school here, Carmel yeah. school, which became our lives. And the minute we did that, we realized there's no Shabbat afternoon driving around. And it just developed. Sure. It was, so they went to Carmel school and went to B'nai Akiva and then to Yavne and, uh, that was it. And then my friends, the two friends I had before I went away, my right, religious friends. The two Dati friends. friends, yeah. Right. Well, one of them left in 73 and stayed in Teaneck, and that's why we moved. We lived in Teaneck when okay. Jim, but they come all the time. They have a son here. Uh, the other one, I called her up and I said, Danny, I, I guess it was second grade, first grade, if Naftali wasn't gone. He has to bring something called a maxor to school. And she just couldn't believe, she said, I don't know what you're talking about, because she couldn't believe that someone didn't know what a maxor was. And this was after, you know, a year and a half, two years right. of becoming more and more. But, right. you know, it's much easier. There's a woman in my shul, she's, uh, she converted, and she's had a real education. That's right. She knows more than a lot of the people sitting around her. But we were just picking it up. It's like, like on the job training. On the job training. <laughs> like we loved Habdallah because our friend in the snow would open the door from his kitchen to this little balcony and do Habdallah. It was so nice. You know, everything we learned was from, it wasn't official. Right. You know, it, so, uh, so finally, I said, but Florence, I have to, he has to bring a maxor. And she finally got it. She, she tells that story wow. now that, uh, that, that they were referring to the Rosh Hashanah Right, sidur. right. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I, <laughs> I just didn't know. I mean, I knew what a sidur was by right. then and could. And in the beginning, we went to the conservative shul here, Moria shul. First of all, the rabbi was the one ra conservative rabbi that was allowed to marry people. Because Shar Yeshuv Kohn, right. who was the Rav Harashi of Haifa, saw that there, he's a true Dati. And most of the families that were there, their kids went to Carmel School. So for a few months, we went there. And most important of all, they would tell you what page you're on. <laughs> no, these are things right, that for people, yeah. for people who don't know, and you're an adult and you're good at whatever else you do, it's really hard. And, and, and we weren't in a group. It's not like in Yerushalayim you could find a group of somebody to learn with. Uh, and then one Friday night, we used to go on Friday nights, Naftali was shuckling. He, and he had big this teeth. This is first grade, second grade, or no? He was still in still. kindergarten. Okay. He had these big buck teeth, and he had a big coupon, and he was shuckling. And there must have there was an American tourist man behind us because family sat together. He was so taken by this by that he hands Naftali a dollar in shul. In shul. So Naftali went like that, and that's when we realized we're going to have to 
make a choice and go to a, and we found one where, you know, with friends, parents of friends and of the kids' friends, and and it, we found the right tools for us, and it worked out. But it every we didn't we didn't suddenly become Hari D at right. all, as you notice. Um, but it was like step by step by step, and I really think um, it was it was all planned somehow. It's uh, so even though uh, when you were in Montreal, you were part of this uh, this group, uh, wives of professional Jews. You know, that was only uh, one meeting. <laughs> no, that no, only, just, right, yeah, right, I'm right. Just, I'm uh, using that to introduce right, the topic. Right. Um, have you had a career I've worked, in, in Israel? Yeah, I worked for about 20 years as the Sagan Minahelet of Hitaktuto Le America of the Canada in the North. Right. I right, worked right, with right. Olim. It's now AACI. closed. Yeah, AACI. Yeah. That was uh, that was my. I never loved teaching, right. and one. Your degree from Berkeley was My degree was, was in, in Berkeley what? was in history, American okay. history. Okay, right. B A. Nothing. <laughs> and the one in in my degree in Concordia was just in duty free appliances. It was a <laughs> full, and I got I learned so much that year. It was an interesting thing, at a school that didn't have famous teachers, I got so much out of it, not just the Jewish studies, but the English also. It was really exciting. I was 30, you know, instead of being stupid and 17 and right. 18 and right. not really caring about anything. Uh, I, I got so much out of it besides the religious part and the duty-free appliances. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. so uh, you, you, of course, remember your own upbringing, your own childhood, uh, and then, of course, you've raised your own children here. What's it like to raise kids in Israel? Well, for my kids, first of all, we lived next to Avadi. We were the third cottage down, the last, and the Avadi is just across the street there, a beautiful Avadi. It got burnt three years ago. but uh, So my kids grew up just coming home and, and in those days kids didn't have phones and TV. They'd come home and all the kids, all their friends always wanted to come to our house because I, <laughs> I didn't know how to say no on anything. <laughs> so it would be fun. They could be in the body. They'd take hikes. They'd, uh, you know, and around, and it was great once we became observant. Right. That it, I'm telling you, being observant gives you a framework of life. It's just, that's besides what you believe. It's just a wonderful framework. Um, you can ask my kids. They say growing up was just wonderful for them. And, you know, they all became really, in those days, uh, big in B'nai Akiva. It was really important to them. And uh, they had lots of friends. It was just great. It really was. It was, uh, and, and the school, like you, you, you felt like it was totally fine, the you know, because the American style of teaching and educating I, is but so I, my different. Kid, uh, it's true. They in Montreal. I, no, I never had that feeling. Now, when I worked at AACI, this is really interesting. You know, people used to come in and talk and talk and talk, and there were people who came on Aliyah who came because they really believed in it, but their their how they spoke was their kids learned that it's better, the universities are better in America, 
and the education is better in America. I could, I could pick out the ones that would go back, right. and I could pick out the ones who stayed, but their kids don't live here now. Wow. It's Based on how they used to be, speak. Because that's what the kids pick up more from underneath than from what you keep trying to give them. It, uh, so, uh, no, it, it, it really, uh, I, I have, I, look, in Montreal, the kids got in the schools the religion, which was great, which they needed. Oh, it's Naftali. Hi, Booba, hi. Hi. Hey. <laughs> um, I know you're in Glasgow. Edwin and Doreen said uh, they wished that they could go with you. They would tell you where to stay. <laughs> Anyhow, how is it? Now, we, Edwin was from Edinburgh, and, and Doreen was from Glasgow, and they lived in Glasgow after they got married. Uh, she lived across the street from the big shul there. Are, there not, are you meeting important people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is Boris Johnson as funny as he seems? Ah, okay. All right. I love you more. Ah. I am, and I, I'm coming to you, Shabbat. Okay, okay, bye. Yeah, I know. Bye. I just want you to know he calls me every day. He's just, uh, and says I love you. <laughs> and I send and him Apparently you love him more. I know. Well, that's what I say to all my <laughs> yeah. grandchildren also. That's, uh, but I also write him things, you know, advice, long, sometimes long, on WhatsApp, about some, something, whatever. And he answers. He doesn't even answer, okay, A-Y. He says, okay. That's how he answers me. So, uh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> we were talking about um, uh, the the things you would see with other people who would come here and how they would speak and, ah. and the impact it might have on their families and their children and those kinds of things. Yeah. So you guys were always positive about everything once, once, once the, I, when I came back during the 73 war, it's like I changed completely. Be, oh, because I was living in San Francisco, which was my dream for a few months, you know, having my mother sit there with tears coming down and saying orphans. And I saw, and I'm telling you, I'm shallow. I really am. And I used to, in those days, love shopping. And, but I saw how my friends and cousins my age live and brought up their children. And now I see it even more. I saw the difference. Just living in Israel gives you a meaning in life. Just living here is just gives you some kind of purpose in life more than which car do you have or whatever. It, it's, I, so, plus Jim really begged me. And then I came back, it was as if I went from one person to the other, and that was before Montreal. Uh, the heating thing that yeah. I ordered, it sounds so dumb now, but I had lost all my self 
regard living here because of my language and, and not having friends that I really loved, except for my Shabbat, Shomer Shabbat friends who I didn't see on the main day of the week. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it, it, I came back and it just changed. I just realized the value and I felt part of the country. My husband's fighting in the army like everyone else. I'm not just an Allah that can't speak Hebrew. It's, uh, it changed everything. And then to be sent to Montreal at that time and have the kids get their education and to have me uh, read the Torah was the Tanakh the first time. Uh, and then everybody working to help us become observant. I, you see, in, in that shul, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it was the big shul. Uh, I always sat near people who said, don't worry, it's this page. Whereas then I had to go to the conservative shul right, right. till the guy gave Naftali the dollar. He went, <laughs> he was just in shock. Yeah. Because he, he was, he had, he probably didn't remember not being religious because right. he was two years old when we went to Montreal. And then, uh, so, uh, no, that changed everything for me. And it's really important that both cup, part of a couple feel the same way. Um, and Jim was already there before Jim you Jim was right? not he, in religion. No, no, in terms of in, wanting to be in From the Israel. moment we stepped off the plane in July 1967, he just, he looked, he felt, this was him. He got to wear sandals. He didn't have to wear, you know, a tie or a suit. It was just his country. And he went off to work and he was, people liked him. He was friendly, you know, we made some, you know, friends from those days. But it, he was at work every day. He, he worked with fun people and great people. He had fun at work. I was with first one new baby and then two new babies. And right. uh, I just didn't know. I, I really was overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I understand. It's so, uh, it, 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 but <laughs> 73 changed everything. And uh, then we went to Montreal. So how long, when, when, when you guys came back on Shlichut for Aliyah? We were back. When was that? We came back. 76 and we were sent on to New York and we lived in Teaneck in 81, 81 or 79, 79 to 81 we so were. For, so for those three years you're in Teaneck. Here, in my other house. But Wait, hold on a second. So when, when were you in New York, New Jersey? What years? From 1979 to 1981. Okay, so talk a little bit about being a, a, a shaliach family, okay. right? an aliyah shaliach family, and, where it's your job right, to, right. to sing the praises of the land well, and everything. The, so what I was remember it like? Jim, the second year at Lech Lecha, got up in front of the shul of thousands of people and spoke. For me, I sat next to my friend and I held her hand <laughs> hard like this. But uh, no, the both times, Jim, especially the second time around in, in Teaneck, we saw uh, the government paid for our kids' schools, but we saw what happened to people who were not upper middle class or rich. They had to go stand in front of their peers 
and tell them why they should get a scholarship for a school. And then they had to go to shul with them. And right. this, it, is, this is in Teaneck. That's the in Teaneck. Yeah, in yeah. Montreal, we didn't understand sure, any of sure. that stuff. And I think in Montreal, it was different because Montreal, Canada is, a, Montreal had a Catholic school system, a Protestant school system, and a Jewish school system. So the schools oh, were somewhat public. Somewhat were, public. They were public. Yeah, public assistance. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So it was a whole different thing. Yeah. Uh, Canada had a lot of good things about it, except thank God the weather <laughs> was so horrible. But I mean, they really are uh, a nice group of people in Canada because life seems to be even the the medical system. You had private doctors, but it was part of I don't know what it's like today. Right. But in, also in Montreal, when we were there, it was already when the French people were starting to get really angry that, you know, things were in English. So even there, everywhere, you just can't get away from anger. So did you find people in, in the New York area were generally receptive to Aliyah, or was, was it really okay. just like needles our, our, in the haystack? Our first uh, Shabbat in the shul we went to, which was a shul, B'nai Yeshurun, right. which is well shul. shul. Yeah, yeah, we went all the time. I mean, that was our shul. And, and we met some guy who had a kippah, and on the uh, kippah was written some date, like 1983. I think he was with um, Shlomo Riskin to go to Efrat. They're still in America. Right. Uh, right. But it was very Zionist, and I think lots of people come, have come from Teaneck and New York and... Uh, no, I think they really loved uh, the land of Zion. They really do. But it, it also, they have this great life. Yeah. But yeah. even there, it's it, in many ways, being from is even more full time than here. Hmm. There, even in a place like Teaneck, where I don't think you could find a non-kosher restaurant <laughs> nowadays on the main street. Right. It's like, it's funny, because I've never thought about this before, but it's like an effort. It's not a big effort, but it's an effort. Whereas here, it's all natural with all the problems there are between, but it's still, whatever you are, it's what you are. It's, uh, no, I found, listen, a lot of people did come. Were, were you, did you see yourselves in in the role of inspiring or just facilitating? It's sort of a uh, difficult position to days, be in. those days, it was both. Jim was, I was nothing. I just had fun. I, uh, uh, the wife of the Jewish professional. Right, right. And <laughs> near friends. We had friends in Teaneck, our best friends, and then met lots of other friends. He was inspiring and facilitating because in those days, you had to facilitate to get no someone nefesh to come. No nefesh back then. Right. No nefesh, which have, yeah. does a better job. But, oh, I was starting to say to you, I don't know about Montreal, but in Teaneck, Jim started to say to people, look, if you're not going to come on Aliyah, you better do something about Jewish education in America because it's just wrong that it's so expensive. It really is. And it's also so narrow. Um, this is 40 years ago he was saying this. Oh, that's true. It does, that's it amazing. Like, no, he was, he was saying ahead it, of his time. He just was saying, you know, I, want, I think you should all come. I, it, but 
or he thinks it's the best place for Jewish people. But if you're here, you can't make being uh, a religious Jewish education so expensive. You just can't, it really is, it's sinful, I think. I really do, I think it's terrible. Um, he said that then, and um, we were also sent to Russia in, wow. in Pesach, I think 81, because we had an American passport and an Israeli passport. So they were sending people with non-Israeli passports. Right, right. And we, and the Sachnud had given us a suitcase of stuff to give to people like jeans size 110, you know, to sell. Who's, Russian people had no food in those right, days, right. you know, but, and when we came into the airport, they took everything away from us. Like he had brought Sidorim and books. Sure. But he had written down in a notebook the key people we were supposed to meet. And as we're waiting, he memorized their names. One was Yuli Kosharovsky, who you may not have heard of, who yeah. died. The other, the other person who met us most in, in Moscow and in Minsk was Yuli Edelstein. Edelstein. It's today, right. who's on the other, you know, isn't, but he's great. Um, no, it was really an amazing thing to, to wow. meet them. When I came back, I said, I'm going to, this shows how shallow I am. I'm going to devote my life to, you know, the future of Russian Jewry. I spoke once at a Hadassah meeting here, and that was it. That was... Uh, well, you're busy. It's okay. Nah, but it, um, okay, I want to uh, fast forward a little bit, and then we're going to go to the rapid fire questions. Okay. The truth is... I could spend all day talking to you, but you have other things to do, and we, we need to move on. But um, you now have grandchildren. How many grandchildren? I have great do you have? grandchildren. I have three oh, in note. Okay, hold on a second. They're gorgeous. So you have three grand great granddaughters. Yes. And how many grandchildren? I have eleven grandchildren and okay. three ninot. Amazing. Uh, what language do you speak to each other in? Okay, My, I, we like, spoke. What's it like culturally with uh, you? Uh, we spoke English to our sons. And my oldest son, Ashi, and Naftali spoke English in the begin to the first kids. In, and so they speak English well. Danny didn't speak English to them at all. But I see just on Friday night, when we eat together, because of me, we speak English. And I see the kids, even the ones who I thought a few years ago aren't going to be able to speak. Then you speak Hebrew when you, but... Um, and I write to them on WhatsApp in English, and they all write me back in Hebrew. Right. So uh, with our own kids, it was easy because we spoke English. With the grandchildren, the first ones, it was easy. But then it's hard for them when your wife is not an a, a English speaker. All three of them married Israeli. All three of them right. married Israelis. Right. And uh, like Gilad speaks English really well, but okay. still it's in Hebrew. And my granddaughter who has the three gorgeous little girls. Uh, uh, she, is a, she really speaks English well. Her, her, my son and her mother divorced when, they were, when she was about two years old. So she spent half her life in my house, you know, three days a week. And then her mother is a doctor and took them to Canada for two years. So she really speaks English well, but with her little girls, she just says, it's just impossible. Yeah. It's just yeah. impossible. 
Yeah. But uh, well, you're able fun. to you're able to be I'm, a good safta. I'm Dama. I'm Dama. Dama. Yeah. Now that's like grandma. Jim, yeah. Jim's called his father, grandfather pe- Papa. Okay. And I called. I didn't have grandparents, but my sons called my mother and father, grandma, grandpa. So we told Adi, the swan, the oldest one, that I'm grandma and he's Papa. Jim's Papa, and she, he became Peppa. And I'm Demma, and if I walk on the street here, I see friends of the kids, and I'm Demma. Hi, Demma. Wow. Right. I'm Safta Demma. Uh-huh. You know, they uh-huh. think, uh, yeah, uh-huh. no, it's fine. It all works out. It's yeah. uh, first of all, they all end up knowing English enough to, uh, and your he as bad as my Hebrew is, I can talk to them if, if about almost anything. Sure. You know, we can have politics and stuff. It's uh, yeah. It's um, three kids. I, I'm sure, just based on what I'm hearing from you, um, you're extremely proud of all three. I am proud of all of them. At, at the same time, I have to spend a moment on you know. Listen, we all raise our children saying you can do anything you want if you if I you put your mind this, to it. <laughs> you say, but you know, someday you could even be prime minister if you want to. And the kids are like, really? I can? And they say, yeah, of course you can, if you I put still your mind to can. it. But here we are, and your son is the prime minister. I think it's probably so. the worst job in the world because you could be prime minister of any other country. It's not like being prime minister of the Jews. Uh, it's, it's, I, it's almost an oxymoron, I, right? <laughs> but he's so... He's so sweet and lovely, but and I worried that he was going to change. He he just doesn't let anything bother him, which thank God. I was afraid he was going to change, because uh, you know when we're all together, he's funny. He's I don't know. He's the one. And of he, the three, he's the jokiest. Yeah, okay. he and he's the one that starts the singing, and mm-hmm. he's he's uh, yeah yeah. So what's it like? Oh, well, in the beginning. Okay, I'll tell you. And, and by the way, prime minister aside, he was in politics before he was the I prime know, minister. I know, but that was all. I remember the high point of my life was. Other than today. Th- th- this th- conversation. Th- yeah. Uh, <laughs> was the first time he and Ayala Chaked came to Neve Shanan when they built, first opened their party. I remember it was at my his son, David Emanuel's Brit Mila, he said he's going into politics, okay? So it was like, so that was warm weather, I don't know, I think like a month or two later. And these two young people come with all these ideals and stuff, and I thought, this is amazing. I didn't care what was gonna happen, Are they? Get, but it was just so amazing. That was really exciting. Jim right away said he's going to be prime minister. Really? And, uh, but I ne- first of all, I never said, he was really good at drama and singing when he was little. So I used to say, do drama, you know, well, go and, and once <laughs> on the guitar, he picked out some melody and I said, let's send it to Eric Einstein because it was so just, you know, maybe five notes, but it was really great. So, um, I have an old car, you'll see it went into the lighter because something was wrong with the lighter. It didn't work. So I took my car to a garage not far from here, a gas station garage, 
that I don't even go to that often, and it's all full of either Likudnikim or Arabs. Okay. I walk out of my car, and the guy who runs it recognized me. Suddenly, they're all coming to me to do selfies. Right. And to tell me how great and this and that. Not that it should take things from the outside to affect you. Now I realize the people that are happy about it, which is only some of the people, love the fact that in the country today as a whole, it's calmer. It just is. The whole discussion isn't this, it's not as ugly as it was. And part of it was because of all of them together, but that's how Naftali is. Mm. It's, uh, so the first time I went to them on a Shabbat, I thought, I'm going to see that he's changed. He couldn't, he, I, of course he could care less, but it didn't, it, he, so I said to him early on, I said, you know, all these people who now love you, like all the ladies in my hit Tamlut and all these things, yeah. they're just so happy. None of them voted for him. Right. And all the people that voted for him are angry. Right. Not all, it turns out. There's a lot of people who are, are good. No, because how could you, first of all, he's doing so much for us. The fact that this guy goes abroad and has a kippah and won't fly on Shabbat, <laughs> it's my son, my, my God, that's just, anyway, um, I, so I said to him, and none of them will vote for you. He said, I couldn't, this he really said, couldn't care less, whatever will be, will be. He just wants to do the best, and he really does. He grew up truly, and do you know that when he was in Bnei Akiva, in Yud Aleph, the communard, I don't know if it was a communard or a communarit, left. So they made Naftali, this kid in Yud Aleph, be the communard. He takes, he cares about... That's his inclination. It, that's, he yeah. just really cares about the klal, right. the Jewish klal. That's right. so, and anyway, that's... Uh, Pretty amazing. Pretty yeah, amazing. but on the other, and also, you know, after that first day, I, my TV is up there. So there are times when I'm sitting watching TV alone, and suddenly his face comes on or he's doing something that I think is really good. I jump up and down and I say, yeah. I love you, I love you. And I, and I miss Jim terribly. Uh, you know, I, I could have someone sharing it with me. But so we all say to Naftali, you know, Jim's next to you. He said, no, Jim's not next to me. He feels that Peppa is inside of him. And he really does. He, they, the boys really loved him. He was, yeah. anyway, that's... Uh, Can we shift gears? Sure. Can we go through some interesting questions? Okay. In the Bennett home, Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Oh, Israeli. And, but my son Danny, once in a while, they're very sophisticated, he has Kedem. But I don't even like, I like the Israeli one. I, <laughs> uh, Heinz or Israeli ketchup? Um, Israeli ketchup. Is there an But ask me about mayonnaise. Go ahead. Hellman's. It's got to be. It's got to be. There's no comparison. Right. No comparison. Yeah, I agree with that. We're not a big mayonnaise fan. Oh, uh, we well. are because we're from California, so <laughs> everything is with mayonnaise. Um, what's the Israeli food that you love the most? Um, I love shawarma, and I love falafel, but I don't always eat it because I try to watch what I eat. Right. Um, 
I like Israeli food. What, else, what other food is there? Uh, but I cook for Shabbat. I make like um, American roast beef and sure. things like that. I um, try to think what other, oh, the, the salads. And if you go to that restaurant, right. the salads are amazing. It's, uh, I like those little salads that you tapas or whatever they call them. Uh, is there an Israeli food that you say to yourself, how can anyone possibly like this? Uh, kuzbara, coriander. I can't put it in my mouth. It tastes like soap. <laughs> it's, uh, I hate it. I'm right with you on that. Uh, and I, uh, so I have to always ask to make right. sure because... You never know when's going to show up in a my, salad, right? I have a cousin who's a Bennett who lives in Carmiel and she cooks, you know, like I cook. And I remember once we went there for Shabbat and I take the, the chicken soup and she put coriander in it. So I said, Maxine, how could you? She said she just started to like it, but now if I come, she doesn't put coriander in it. Um, I, I, I did a little research before we, before we met today, and I, and I saw an interview you had with um, Sivan Rahav Meir right. a couple of years ago, and I know that, that it is clear when you speak Hebrew that you're American. Uh, <laughs> did you ever try to do the Israeli Hebrew accent? And if, if I don't think you can try to. I think people... I think people who are good in math and are good actors can maybe do other languages. I'm just thankful it's English that I grew up with because that's really complicated. I, 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 I don't even try. Listen, for years, and this was one of the hard things, in the early days, I would walk to the store and I would say, Slosha yogurt team? Or, Yogurt. I, You'd like rehearse. I'd rehearse. And now on Sundays, I'm in a group of Israeli women my age doing a psychology thing for the third age with a psychologist, you know, and you really talk. And the first time I went, or the first time I spoke, they all came up to me like love that, oh, do you want me to help you with, my, with your Hebrew? And I said, no, no thank you. I said, I'm just happy that I'm willing to open up and speak in Hebrew because years I wasn't. And, I, and that's really- Because you were so shy about I was your so abilities. shy about making mistakes. I right. didn't ever want to make a mistake. That's why Jim, who couldn't, in Arad, in the Opan, I got you know, A's or 10's on everything, but he could speak. Right. And he then ran his, you know, real estate office in Hebrew. And I just don't want to make a mistake, which is really dumb. But now it doesn't matter. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I'm so happy that I go places and I don't care if I make a mistake or, or I sound like I sound. I'm just now that it makes life much better. You have, you know, you get to be with more people. It's, right. Uh, right. So. What? What about life in Israel brings tears of joy or pride to you? Oh, um, Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron, Yom Atzmaut. I don't know how any good Israeli Jew can leave the country between Pesach and Shavuot, and people do. I just don't get it. What, what a time, what a time period. You just, it's just like- One after the other, One right? after the other in beautiful weather, it, it's just the greatest thing. It's uh, Hatikva. I still get tears when I hear the melody of Hatikva.
Hmm. I don't know if young people still do, because I don't know how much they hear it, except at an army thing. But yeah, there are (laughs) a lot of things. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in terms of your own Aliyah, if anything? Uh, I think maybe if I knew I was going to stay in those early, early days, I wouldn't have made us go to San Francisco every summer. Why? Because it wasn't healthy for someone who wasn't sure that they wanted to be here. You don't go to the place you're from. It's just you, you decide you're here. And I think I might have really tried to, I don't know that I have the ability because I'm not good at languages, but I think I might have tried harder to take more Hebrew classes or to speak Hebrew more instead of, my life was in English. I, right. I worked at AACI, we spoke English at home, my friends, my good, I have some Hebrew speaking good friends now, but even with them, a lot of, if, if I realize I want to be clear, I'll say it in English, because they're all, they all speak English better than I speak Hebrew. Right, that, right, right. And I won't let myself feel bad about that. <laughs> that's, uh, see, that's the thing. You have to decide what is, is, and yeah. accept yeah. it. What's been better than you expected about life in Israel? Oh my God, family, family that uh, kids don't go to a university uh, uh, across the country and end up staying there. Family here, it's not because we were better parents that I'm with my family so much. It's because that's the way it is. It's the peer, nobody has, I mean, you read it, you hear things, but I mean, no one I know has a bad family. No one (laughs) has a family that the kids hate them. when I grew up in America, I'm talking, you know, 70 years ago, there was a thing, you had to be different than your mother. You know, sure. I remember in Berkeley, we used to talk about that all the time. Everybody was critical of their parents. I feel I, I was given a present that my kids just uh, accept us the way we are, and it's great. It's... Uh, is there anything about life here that you thought would be easier and has actually been more difficult than you thought? Um, the early days were really difficult. Uh, what's more difficult? I, I, look at that's Corona. I used to love when Jim was alive, short traveling, you know, going to Aix-en-Provence for two weeks and, you know, renting a car and traveling around. That's not going to happen again for lots of reasons. Uh, but uh, no, uh, I, no, I, I, but it wouldn't happen to me anyhow because of my age. I wouldn't have those kind of trips. Now I'm ready to go on a cruise. Right. I'm not afraid uh, with our friends from Teaneck. Yeah, yeah. We'll, might do it. So uh, You've been talking about it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I wrote... Uh, What do you miss most about the place you came from? San Francisco? Well, today I don't miss, well, I miss some of my cousins who are my age and I've known them always, especially I have one man cousin who I love. Um, So I miss them. I didn't have sisters or brothers, uh, but I don't miss anything. Because even going in, I took my granddaughter, Sheer, Danny's oldest daughter, who's now an officer in the army. She's a native in converting soldiers. Yeah, 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 sure. It's great. Anyhow, I took her to San Francisco, I think it was three years ago, and it was 
it was fun to go with her and be there. And she stayed with the, the younger cousin, the woman who wrote this book about a podcast. Right. Remind me. Okay. And um, there, sure, it's a, a different a, culture. We we have the best. And I was lucky enough that we live okay. You know, I'm not. So you're talking to someone who. It's not the same talking to me as someone who can't make the month end. Right. It's right. so. Oh, and this is what I was going to say. First of all, I used to love shopping in America. Nowadays, shopping's not like anywhere. They're closing all the big stores, and sure, it's uh, all Amazon. Right? It's all Amazon. <laughs> it's just different, and uh, and I'd I'd much rather go to. Uh, you know, south of France or Cinque Terre in Italy than San Francisco. If yeah. I had to choose a three-week trip, I would much rather go to somewhere in Europe than, than San Francisco. Two more questions and, yeah. and then we're going to let you go. Okay. Number one, is Aliyah for everyone? Aliyah was, it turned out it was for us. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think, um, I, I think you have, I think it's Gonna, it's only good for someone who would have had a good life back home. I don't think Aliyah can fix anything for anyone. I just right. it, it makes it harder. It's uh, I, I I think I think it's for a lot of people, um, most people. But I think if you have trouble in your life, it's not for you because it's hard. You make a it's a huge change. It's, sure. Uh, so. Um, I don't know what the answer, what my answer was. <laughs> I, I think it's for the people who want to be here, yeah. you know, or it's... Last question. I'll ask the question and then I'll explain it because it's not obvious. Okay. What's your magnet? And what I mean by that is, you know, people have magnets on their refrigerator with like clever sayings. No, or... you want to see mine? It was my yeah. grandson just got married two weeks ago. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about actual oh. magnets. I'm saying you have like a virtual magnet that keeps you here no matter what. what oh, about the, Israel, the, the magnet? Saying, what's the saying that you have in your mind that that's what keeps you here no matter what? Um, well, I can't imagine living full-time anywhere else. I mean, where else should I live? I mean, that's... Uh, where else should I live? <laughs> I think we can make I? a magnet like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, what kind of... There's just no question. Right, uh, right. But uh, no, I don't even. I've been here so long that I don't even think about what keeps me here. I'm yeah. here. Yeah. This is. Uh, Myrna Bennett, thank you so much for returning again to your story of your Aliyah <laughs> it's and fun. life in Israel. <laughs> You're an inspiration, and you should just uh, keep going. Thanks, thanks. Now I'm going to go get you that book, okay? 